0: You all know me. Know how I earn a living. This shark will swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Shot. We've got a problem on our hands on the 4th of Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the rectal of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. What? You're need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Thank you for returning for yet another episode of the Jaws Obsession, episode 60, still alive. That's right. We're still alive over here in the Jaws Obsession Bunker. What a crazy two months it's been. There was another episode that I had planned for episode 60. We're going to push that off one more because I felt that it was best to do an update episode. We'll catch up on Book of Quint news. We'll catch up on Jaws news. We have fan emails. So many good emails are coming in, and that's going to let us talk about Jaws because that's what we do here. That this is just our virtual Uh, Denny's booth, or a late-night diner where you can just slide into the booth and we can just talk about the greatest movie of all time, Jaws. And that's what we're going to do here for Episode 60. Time to get back on the horse. It's time to get back onto the Jaws Obsession train. Simply must keep moving forward. And that's what we're doing here because... This is the one-year anniversary. May 7th was the one-year anniversary of the premiere of the Book of Quint trailer on YouTube. The trailer is also posted over at JawsOB.com. Of course, you can find all the links for this in the description of this broadcast. One year ago, not only did we have the premiere of the Book of Quint trailer on YouTube, but we also launched the Indiegogo campaign for the Book of Quint, for the crowdsourcing, the crowdfunding of the uh, initial printing of 300 copies to the Book of Quint. That was launched a year ago. And now, look at where we are. The exciting news is that two, I just, not a few days, uh, just a few days ago, I turned both part one and two, the screenplays to the Book of Quint, part one and two, were turned over to Agent Bill Pettit of the William Pettit Agency in Atlanta, Georgia. So the screenplays are down there now being reviewed. And that is, uh, that's quite the accomplishment in that I put a lot of things on pause where the Jaws obsession had to take a back seat because I had to go back to screenwriting mode where I had not written a screenplay in over 20 years. And the, in order to do that, I went had to go from novelist, so I wrote the novel. Then I went back to, uh, I generated a first draft of part one, which ended up being too verbose. It's, it's kind of hard to turn the writing off because screenplays are more of a watered, boiled down, watered down version of the story you're trying to tell. So what, the, what that had to happen was I had to uh, almost um, uh, readjust the writing style in order to uh, boil it down to a, a script that was manageable where the story could be told on screen. And that was that took a lot more of my time than, uh, especially part two. Part two, there was a lot. There's a lot going on there. In order to avoid spoilers to the book of Quint, there's uh, I'll talk in generalities, but uh, new scenes had to be written. Um, um, other characters had to be given bigger roles in order to get ideas across that are in the novel, but they won't translate to that you can't really get those ideas onto the screen unless you have a character actually stating what's happening. So you have to be able to do that in a, uh, in a way that's not obvious and it's not hitting the audience over the head. It's got, it has to have a little bit of, there has to, there's an art to screenwriting, and uh, my hat is off to all the professional screenwriters out there. It's not easy to do it. I believe that I was successfully able to tackle that part. And so now we have two screenplays are out there for the Book of Quint. And and there's a lot of exciting things happen happening, which I cannot uh, say the exact things, but there's a lot of movement and discussion going around with the development of the Book of Quint 2 big screen. Very exciting time. So in one year, look at where we came from in one year. One year we're posting the trailer on YouTube, we're launching the Indiegogo campaign, and in one year not only did we get the permission from Benchley IP LLC to publish the novel, but now it is uh, we are represented by the William Pettit Agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and we now are in development for the uh, Silver Screen we'll see where that goes. Very exciting times. Very exciting times over here at the Jaws Obsession. So now that that's all done, we can now go back. It's been a while, but now I have a kind of... And also I worked myself into the ground immune system-wise. When you lose sleep and you are focused and uh, pushing forward, uh, your immune system is going to take a shot. So I was uh, out for the count for a little bit, uh, but I am back to normal somewhat, if you can call it Normal. Uh, and, you know, nothing that uh, a little extra vitamin C won't won't uh, cure. Now it's back to writing mode where I am officially on the research phase for uh, the next book. In the meantime, the Jaws obsession, it's a very integral part of the puzzle where uh, it helps me to keep uh, attached to not only the Jaws fan's But also JAWS itself, going through it, going through it, constantly frame by frame. There are so many things to talk about. If you think that we've run out of topics, no way, you're not even close to uh, to reality. You cannot run out of topics when it comes to the greatest movie of all time. There is so much to talk about frame by frame. You could go frame by frame through this movie and there's just interesting things all over. It is a snapshot into history and we'll see where that leads us. Remember, the future, everything is fluid right now on the ground level. There's a lot happening and everything is fluid. Nothing is locked. Nothing is set in stone. But we are appreciative to be where we're at. Yeah, so that was a one year. May 7th was the one year anniversary. I always felt that that trailer handled the gravitas of what we were trying to do here at the Jaws Obsession. So this is going to be episode 60, still alive. That's right. We're still alive. We're still kicking. We're still treading water here. In the Jaws Obsession, we are ranked by ListenNotes.com. The Jaws Obsession is in the top three percentile of all podcasts worldwide. The show has been downloaded in 84 countries worldwide. So without you, the listener, the show isn't successful. So I always appreciate your time in listening to these episodes. Uh, We just covered the Book of Quint news, so that's where we are at now. We have now the Book of Quint screenplays are finished. So now let's go to Jaws news. Let's go. Is there anything else in the Jaws news recently? One thing that caught me, I stumbled upon an article here. So this was an older article from June 23, 2021 at looper.com. Jim Rowley wrote an article here. It says, thank Thanks to the current state of the movie industry, it seems like practically every film is getting a sequel, a remake, a reboot, or a superhero movie. And one reason for that trend is because established movie franchises are much safer bets than an unknown. When it comes to movies from the 1970s, there are countless examples of classics that have received the reboot treatment. Everything from horror staples like Dawn of the Dead and Halloween to comedies like Freaky Friday, Charlie's Angels. So it might seem curious that we haven't seen Jaws the remake Calling Jaws one of the most successful film franchises doesn't really do it justice because it argu- arguably created the template for the summer blockbuster. But it's still worth noting that the Jaws franchise has taken in almost 750 million worldwide. But there is a reason why we probably won't get a Jaws remake anytime soon. Remember, this is from 2021. So the, uh, remember, I did not start writing the Book of Quinn until October of 2021. So this was what was common uh, before the Book of Quint came around uh this is what was common knowledge was the reason was jaws doesn't have a reboot was because of steven spielberg in a report about a deal between netflix and amblin entertainment on june 21 2021 uh deadline also shared spielberg's position on a potential jaws remake to put it briefly he's not interested during the netflix amblin negotiations universal reportedly asked spielberg to produce but not direct a remake this is that's remember that's the that is the word of note here a remake Spielberg said no but this has been his position for quite some time uh, they he goes on to reference Spielberg's uh, uh, cited his difficulties in filming Jaws in the 2011 interview with Ain't It Cool News uh, why he walked away from Jaws two uh, but the bigger obstacle is Spielberg's policy against remaking his own films. In 2015, Spielberg told Deadline that he would, quote, never remake one of his own films. And he specified that he especially would not work on a remake of Jaws. It's an understandable position for a filmmaker of of Spielberg's caliber. And for people who want to preserve the sanctity of the original Jaws, not to mention fans of the legendary director's other classics, Spielberg's position is surely a relief. And I can't agree with that more with the author of this article, Jim Rowley, over at Looper.com. But what I think is interesting is that that was during the Netflix and Amblin Entertainment negotiations. And that was back in June of 2021. So now here we have the prequel. A prequel. That's the word. Not a reboot, not a remake, but a prequel. What I've always believed is that if you give more context, then you draw out more subtext from those original performances. You can extrapolate uh, little little looks, little things that Robert Shaw or Murray Hamilton or even Richard Dreyfuss might do in the movie Jaws. Little things, side characters, little things might happen where if you have some context, you will notice those in a whole new light. And that will make the movie more enjoyable because that's kind of what we are tasked with doing here. 50 years later, I see the other fran- other franchises, other movies that people enjoy are getting the broader scope, broader picture. If you want to talk about Mandalorian and Star Wars, the, the superhero movies are a whole other entity. People are seeing that there's more going on. And now, now we have an Indiana Jones number five coming out soon. The big studios, if they're going to invest these large uh, budgets into making feature film. They want to see a return on their investment, so they want to see an attached fan base. Is The uh, conclusion here is that Jaws has that attached fan base where people would be interested in the scene exactly what makes Quint tick. What is going on in Quint's mind when he's full throttle at the end of Jaws? What is going on? when he's looking around and the orca is sinking. Can we actually find a window into what Quint is thinking at that moment? And I think we can. I think the Book of Quint does that in a very, very unique, but a, also a very respectable way. I'm excited. I'm excited about those screenplays that uh, that were um, the result of the novel. There are many special moments there. would be great to see happen on screen. So that was the first thing that I saw that I wanted to talk about there. So the media had a little bit of a pulse there for the last few days over a Jurassic Park prequel. There were a few articles here over the last couple of years, but it just started to pick up a little bit. So this was some of the talk last summer was Dominion. It was Jurassic World Dominion came out. Some of the movie news sites we're talking about uh, one is the InsideTheMagic.net. Uh, this was an article by Daniel Roberts that was from August of 2022. They asked the question, does Dominion tease a Jurassic Park prequel trilogy? So they talked about the Jurassic World Dominion uh, had opened doors to all kinds of possibilities. Dinosaurs now live among us in the, in the North American wilderness and beyond, there's even an illegal dinosaur trademark as seen in the latest blockbuster sequel. Then he goes on to write Moveover, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Alien, and Harry Potter. We think it's high time for the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies to get the prequel trilogy treatment. And Jurassic World Dominion just so happens to lay the foundation for such a series of installments. This was uh, echoed now. that So that was last summer. Then it was echoed a week ago by Nicholas Brooks over at CBR.com. A forg- forgotten Jurassic Park event could bring the franchise back to its roots. The Jurassic Park franchise has come a long way from the terror of the original, but one event could bring the horror back to the series. So in this article, he talks about it was mentioned in the first Jurassic World, uh, mentioned in the movie Jurassic World Dominion, uh, that Hurricane Clarissa was monumental and a dangerous storm, and according to John Hammond, who talked about it in Jurassic Park, the, uh, the old guy with the walking cane, the storm also allowed nature to take a natural course with the dinosaurs. At the time, Site B was still populated by employees and dinosaurs and was continually, continuously studied. However, the storm led to their freedom, but also enough chaos that it made Site B defunct. So because it occurred between Jurassic Park and its sequel, a prequel exploring the lead-up and events of the storm could continue a theme that started with the first movie. Yeah, so back in January of this year, a YouTube channel created a, a mock trailer for a Jurassic Park prequel featuring the backstory to John Hammond. And the storm that leads up to uh, the defunct site B on Jurassic Park. So uh, if you look, there's a lot of similar themes that echo what we were doing with the, what we were doing with the Book of Quint. You know, every legend has a beginning and stuff like that. So now that's kind of picked up more steam. I noticed there was an article over at SciFi.com that also picked up and talked about the fan trailer. So the Jurassic Park fans showed up in force that has 700,000 views on that mock trailer for a Jurassic Park prequel. But what I stressed to uh, my agent was that we are way further ahead. We're way ahead of the curve on this in that we are way past the point of concept. Not only do we have a novel that is out, Okay, that we have a novel that's ready to go to publication. But now we have screenplays. We have a concrete project that's actually in development, whereas the Jurassic Park prequel is just talk. It's just fan theory at this point. And the Book of Quint's presence, although with what we're doing here in The Jaws Obsession, has been... Has been muted within the sci-fi community, the uh, uh, the movie community, the websites. What has happened is that has kept it a best-kept secret. So if you're listening to the Jaws Obsession, you know about the Book of Quint, but the masses do not. Let's just say that. Let's just say the Book of Quint. I there's people discovering it every day. And I get emails about, uh, they just learned about it. Can they get the book? What we have here is a very well-kept secret. Even though I'm on a public podcast and we are talking about this, it still is a secret because the media has not gotten a hold of it. And I think that's helping us out. I think that's helping us out in that our presentation now, when we are in talks with other production companies, uh, I think that that helps in that people are not finding out in a roundabout way about the Book of Quint. They're getting it right from the man himself, Agent Bill Pettit, who has all the material, who has a direct link to myself. So all questions can be answered. So that I think that has helped us out. I That will be a blessing. I believe that when the smoke clears and it's all said and done, I think that that will be a blessing in disguise. That remains to be seen. But it's nice to see that that we actually have something that's in development, but it's still quite quite the secret ...in the Jaws world. So if you know any Jaws fans... ...if you know any fans or if you know anybody that likes Jaws... uh, ...tell them to go to JawsOB.com... ...and learn about the Book of Quint... ...because we are at exciting times. This is very exciting. So I thought that was interesting. A Jurassic Park prequel is what is making the news. As a fan of the greatest movie of all time, Jaws... ...you out there listening... ...don't you think that there's enough Jurassic Park movies, don't you think that if they're going to do, if there's talk of Jurassic Park prequel, and if there's all these prequels are going on and spinoff series and all that, don't you think it's about time that Jaws gets a little bit of that treatment, that it doesn't get left to the wayside? And I think that's what's interesting here is that from the comments that I've seen for either from Instagram or from other sites where people do not are not aware of the book of Quint. If there is going to be anything regarding a Jaws prequel, they just want it to show respect to the original movie because the original movie is so well regarded and I think that's what we're doing here. I really do believe that's what we are doing here because respect was at the foremost at the foremost, the first and foremost was respect to Jaws and that's evident in the last 59, now 60 episodes of The Jaws Obsession. Great to see. That's good for Jaws news right there. And now let's go over to, since we're catching up, and we got to catch up to some emails here, some of the Jaws fans that have been writing in. We have a couple new listeners, and it's just great to see. So I'd like to thank everybody for writing in. If you want, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please write me over here at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. Okay, so Denise wrote in, uh, let's see here. I, I don't see a location where she wrote in from. But Denise wrote in and said, Hello, just start listening to your podcast and enjoying it. So the beginning of Jaws to me sounds like submarine with sonar. Take a listen. And at least, at least in my Jaws universe, that's what it sounds like. Thanks, Denise. Uh, well, thank you very much, Denise. Thank you for writing in. And she had uh, supplied a video. So let's take a listen. That's some underwater, that's sonar from a submarine. That's her theory, is that's what's at the beginning of Jaws. Let's take a look at what, let's play that again, because you can never play the beginning of Jaws too much. If you go back all the way, all the way back to Jaws Obsession episode one, back in December of 2021, we actually tackled theories on what those aquatic sounds were, how they made them. So the only thing is the uh, about those opening aquatic sounds and where it does sound like uh, sonar, but sonar, I do, I was not on a submarine, but I do remember that sonar is, the, those are uh, issued in pings. And they're usually in steady. They, they, it's a steady pulse. It's that one ping. You remember uh, *Hunt for October*? Who is that? Oh, who is that so, uh, Sean Connery? Uh, give me one ping. One ping only, please. <laughs> that's my that's my Sean Connery re- invitation. But that's you, you. You would issue a ping uh, for the sonar, and it goes out. But those uh, the aquatic sounds are more organic that are going on in the the Jaws. So it's not just uh, those, they're not just random pings. They're actually together. So it's actually something that's alive going on there. Great to see, though. Thanks, Denise, for writing in. I can't wait till you catch up to us at episode 60. We had, uh, uh, Brendan wrote back in about, remember, Brendan was the Coast Guard veteran that wrote from Boston about um, giving the Book of Quint to his father, and they shared a moment over that because it was... uh, that his father passed down his love for Jaws to Brendan, and Brendan was able to repay that by handing the Book of Quint over to his father and opening up that scope of the movie with the novel, The Book of Quint. So Brendan and I responded back to him. He wrote back, he said, um, so this isn't a spoiler, but he said he was glad that I mentioned, he says, I'm glad you mentioned the Coast Guard representation because I meant to comment on how cool it was to picture the Orca being boarded or Quint stealing the Amity Point supplies. I'll never look at the boat's red hull again without thinking about a station roof and chuckling a bit. I spent most of my time on white hulls and fondly remember driving from the flying bridge of my 110 while my CO and I quoted Hooper for hours. It'll be surreal and awesome to see a 44 in the Orca drifting off amity together as always i love the episode the bill butler technical developments and work ethic were the exact kind of background info i tune in for and you even mentioned to quote my favorite book of all time for whom the bell tolls keep up the consistently great work with the show and best of luck with the rest of the screenplay Brendan. Thanks, Brendan, for writing in. Yes, so what, Brendan was on a 110. I started out my Coast Guard career at a small boat station, Station Fire Island, where we had a 44-motor lifeboat and we had a 41-foot utility boat. And I was a qualified engineer on the uh, 44 motor lifeboat. And these were the boats that were designed to go out into heavy surf for search and rescue. It, it was weighted specifically so it could not capsize. It was a wonderful to, uh, uh, to be on that uh, rescue crew and to go out on a boat crew on a 44 motor lifeboat. Um, they have since been replaced with the 47 footers in the Coast Guard. So what I did was I wrote the 44 motor lifeboat into the book of Quint because there is a coast guard station you hear that in jaws when the radio voice comes over to hail the orca it says amity point life state light station to orca amity point light station to orca so what we're looking at is that that amity point is the name of the coast guard station that you see in the background when you when they are loading the Orca up to leave later in the movie, and Quint is up there um, shouting at Hooper, and Martin Brody is in the foreground saying goodbye to Ellen Brody. That white building with a red roof in the back, that's actually the boathouse for Station Menemsha out on Martha's Vineyard. But what that is is that is, also the boathouse for Coast Guard Station Amity Point. And that's what we're looking at, is that Amity Point is the name of that fishing village. And we've derived that through uh, facts in Jaws. If you want to go and learn about how we got to Station Amity Point, all you have to do is go back to listen to episode 33 of the Jaws Obsession, Welcome to Amity Point. Also, what I wanted to was bring that to life more. So what they would have is they have... Uh, station Menemsha did have a 44-foot motor lifeboat station there, and I just made it so Station Amity Point has a 44 motor lifeboat. And there's in one of the chapters in the Book of Quint, they, the Coast Guard boards the Orca. And I what I wanted to show in that chapter, this is not a spoiler. I think this is one of the things that we can talk about. It's just one of those neat little things that, Uh, come up when you look at the history of Amity Island, that in 1966, that is when the motor lifeboats were introduced into the fleet in the Coast Guard. So in 1966, that's when this new uh, white steel-hulled motor lifeboat shows up. And what I like about that chapter is you have the Coast Guard pulling up the motor lifeboat uh, the gleaming white hull of the motor lifeboat pulls up next to the uh, uh, pulls up next to the Orca. The lines go across, and that's how the Coast Guard guys board the Orca for a safety inspection. But um, what the juxtaposition of that is, you have this battle scarred old wooden hull that is the Orca, and it's next to the gleaming white uh, the gleaming white metal of the future, which is the 44 motor lifeboat at that time in 1966. So what I like is those two things coming together symbolizes how the, uh, the world is mo- closing in onto Amity Island. The, the modern world is coming over to the Island. Um, I always liked how that chapter worked out and I, that is in the screenplay. Trust me that that is in the screenplay because I, uh, that is an important, I believe it's an important scene to the narrative arc. That's going on with not only Amity Point, but Quint's arc as well. So um, that Brandon uh, was able to point that out because he was on 110s, which were um, which were short-range cutters, patrol boats, and uh, also Whitehulls. I also liked how Brandon said that him and his commanding officer quoted Hooper for hours from the flying bridge of the 110. That is Exactly how I experienced not only deep sea diving school, uh, diving in the field, uh, my Coast Guard career, everything, everyone quoted Jaws. And Jaws was just this common bond that sailors and people working around the water have with each other. it's, It's amazing. That's why I say it's the greatest movie of all time, because it binds people together. There was always a Jaws quote flying around. That brought me a nice little uh, walk down memory lane when he said that him and his CO were quoting Hooper for hours up on the flying bridge. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks for that wonderful email. And thanks for the comments on the on the uh, podcast as well. Let's see. Dave Bowen wrote in from England. Let's see here. He said, I just listened to the latest episode of The Jaws Obsession in the Car Today, Bill Butler Inspiration. He's talking about episode 59, our last episode. As ever, I loved the Jaws content, but your encouraging words on using Bill Butler as an example of perseverance and overcoming problems to leave a positive legacy were very moving and oddly just what I needed to hear at the time. Thank you so much. That's great. I love it when uh, uh, the, it, our, our messages that we're trying to do here resonate like this. This is great to see. Dave continues on. He says, I have been thinking for a while about the character of Mr. Taft in Jaws. I think he's another example of amazing minor characters in the film and that add, that adds so much to the sense of Amity as a real place. I've been trying to figure out what he says to Brody when they are on the beach together just before Alex Kittner gets eaten, just as Mrs. Taft tells Ellen she will never be an islander. In the movie, Brody is obviously worried about the beach being safe and is paying more attention to the girl who is dragged under the water by her boyfriend, than to what Mr. Taft is saying. And Taft's monologue isn't very clear. It sounds as though he wants Brody as police chief to do something for him, but I can't make out what his problem is. I can hear the way he speaks to Brody at the very end of his speech when he says, when he seems to say do it, which seems like he's talking down to Brody, an odd way to talk to the chief of police. Does he have some sort of authority over Brody, or is he just an entitled rich guy from the posh part of Amity with an attitude problem? You only see him in this scene and in the town hall meeting when he snorts dismissively at Quint as Quint introduces himself after scraping his fingers on the chalkboard. I'd love to know what you think. Well, that's interesting. See, I was going to... uh, That's one of the episodes that we really should get to. We should get to a Mr. and Mrs. Taft episode because... There's a lot to extrapolate from their minor dialogue and background appearances in the movie. I do have somewhat of a history built up with Mr. and Mrs. Taft, but let's go into the movie. Let's just take care of this right now. Let's find out what exactly is Mr. Taft saying Let Polly do the printing. to... So let's see what exactly Mr. Taft is saying to Brody. I got the movie pulled up here, and we're just going to go line by line. Let's let's exactly see what he's talking about. I do know that he's talking about a red zone, because uh, there's got he's got a parking problem going on. But I'm going to um, uh, one thing I'm going to do here is I'm going to put the subtitles on. So I have the subtitles, but one thing that I've noticed is the subtitles in on the DVD and Blu-ray of Jaws are full of errors. They can can be used to help out, but um, they sometimes have errors in them where then you'd have to go back to the screenplay. Let's look at the screenplay too. Let's go here. First, let's look at the screenplay. So uh, the only thing that I'm seeing from the screenplay here is that the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Taft, it mentions Mr. Taft's first name is Max. So we have Max Taft, And then we have Mrs. Taft. We have a first name for him, but we don't have what he's saying in the screenplay. And this is the closest thing we have to a shooting script, which is the final version uh, that is uh, by Carl Gottlieb and Peter Benchley. I remember Carl Gottlieb in an interview saying there really wasn't much of a shooting script. There There wasn't a shooting script. They were writing and they were improvising on a daily basis. So they were rewriting pages of the script all the time on set. So um, this is probably the closest we have, which would be a compilation of all these sides and uh, rewrites that were in that were from the set. So uh, and in this one we do not have this little run-on dialogue that Mister Taft has in the movie. So let's now go over to the movie. So now we've done screenplays. So now let's go back to the movie and let's listen to see what's happening. We're going to take this line line by line and see if we can discover exactly what is Mr. Taff asking Brody in this scene. Yes, there are no islanders. None of them are from the it's Just a big bother. Doesn't well, they're bringing he said, a... oh, I want to know. I just want to know one simple thing. When do I get to become an islander? Ellen, never. Never. Hey. You're not born here. You're not an island. Maybe. That's kidding. it. Okay, so they're lying on the beach there. We're going to have to... Let's skip through the... Uh, skip through Pippet the dog. Okay, so Bad Hat Harry just comes up out of the water. And now here comes Mr. Taft. Yeah, don't bother Taft. him Okay. Okay, it says so she says, but don't bother him, come right back. So let's let's look at that again. Mr. Taft is actually talking to Mrs. Taft on the side. And he's saying he's basically saying something about approaching Chief Brody. Come right. Yeah, don't, the of it. yeah. Now, today? Good day don't bother him Okay. You. So she she says, Well now she goes, Now you have to do it today? And he says, Well today's just as good as any other and she says, well, make it fast, you know? And so she says, make it fast, but don't bother him. Come right back. So that's what's playing off to the side as Martin Brody is sitting back in his chair as Chief Brody sees that it's Bad Hat Harry and it's not a shark in the water. Come right back. Hey, Mike, I know you got a lot of problems downtown, but I've got a couple of problems with the house I wish you could take care of. One, I've got some cats parking in front of the house. I can't get down to the office and that garbage. Okay, so he says... Parking in front of the house, I can't get down to the office, and that garbage truck next to the office has got to be moved. So he says, I got some cats parking down in front of the house, I can't get to the office, and I have that garbage truck next to the office. That garbage truck next to the office has got to be moved. So what I need is a red zone. It's a simple thing you can honey, take care of if you've Honey, honey, would, would you come here a minute, okay? please? So he's talking about a red zone. So the garbage truck is keeping him. He can't get down to the office because he's got some cats. As in, he's that. That's a that's a uh, a slang that he's obviously using. That I. That's almost like a '60s slang, like there's some cats parking in front of the house. So he must ha- They must have some. Uh, people that are staying and they just always are parking there in front of the house, so it's keeping him from getting to the office. And then when he wants to get to his office, probably with his car, there's a garbage truck there. So what he's saying is he needs a red zone, and he says uh, he he needs a red zone, and a red zone is where you cannot, you're not allowed to park there. So they would almost go to the curb and paint it red. It would be, and he says you've done it before. It's truck next to the office has oh, a so what I need is a red zone. It's a simple thing you honey, can take care of if you've honey, done it before. Honey, would you come here a minute, okay? please? Good. Please. So, so Mrs. Taft says, honey, can you come here, come here a minute, please? So he's he's basically asking Martin. He's saying, hey, I need a red zone. You've done it before. It's a simple thing. If you could just do that for me. And, of course, Martin Brody's not even thinking about what he's saying. And Mrs. Taft is more concerned. It actually shows that she's, I don't know, is she? do you think she's concerned about Martin Brody's Uh, mental state or what's going through his mind or do you think that she just thinks it's uncouth of her husband to be talking shop to the chief of police as he's trying to relax on the beach on his day off or do you think that she wants the red zone as well and it's just not a way of going about getting that done because she's an islander and she's maybe saying hey we got a town hall Uh, we can go to the town hall and we can bring it up there you know, it's very, very interesting stuff. Very, very interesting stuff going on. But that, to answer Dave's question, is exactly what he's doing. It is, it is sort of direct that he's going there. And when he says, The Office is he talking about the motel office we're going to have to do a, a Mr and Mrs Taft episode and i'm going to have to draw every i'm going to have to draw the histories of Mr and Mrs Taft what i can extrapolate from their dialogue their wardrobe their way of speaking there's many things that we can we can uh, we can deduce what Mr and Mrs Taft's roles are and also by using jaws 2 because we know that Mrs Taft later on becomes one of the selectmen later on when she's ruling on whether uh, Chief Brody should remain the chief of police, so um, uh, that so she is no she is an islander and she does have a history on that island, and uh, and and that's what's interesting about this. So so I think we solved that that uh, that if we look at if we just turn the volume up really loud and we look at it word for word, he's basically asking Chief Brody for a red zone. And Chief Brody kind of gives him the the brush off in that he's just watching over his shoulder. So what I also think is interesting is that um, in the script it calls for them, and you can see back there there's a birthday cake. No, no, no. they can they can play out here on the beach. Oh, let go. So you can see. You can see in the background between Bed Hat Harry and Chief, there's there's a birthday cake. Uh, there's a lot of um, f- a food back there. That that's what 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 originally was happening. And I know there was a birthday cake on set because they talked about the cake melting. I think what what the uh, script calls for. It says right here. Uh, let's see, scene thirty six. That the angle on the birthday party on the sand, Martin and Ellen Brody, he is sitting stiffly in a beach chair, scanning the beach with careful, cautious looks, eyeballing everything that's going on Um, around their particular blanket and umbrella are a number of adults and their kids. The youngsters gathered to celebrate Michael's birthday. Ellen is dishing out ice cream and cake from a cooler chest to the raucous 10 year olds. Michael's hand is still bandaged. So Michael uh, got hurt on the swing set, so his hand is still bandaged. But it says that Ellen is dishing out ice cream and, and cake from a cooler chest, so that there is a cake there on the um, uh, next to the, uh, on the boardwalk for the changing rooms. But it's not Michael's birthday. If you go back and listen to Jaws episode, Jaws Obsession episode 16. That is the Jaws timeline explained where we actually have a timeline calendar designed out that Jaws takes place over 12 calendar days. What they're doing is that the Alex Kittner attack is not necessarily on Michael's birthday because later on, Ellen and Chief are arguing and Ellen says the words, it's his birthday tomorrow. His birthday tomorrow I don't want him on the ocean he's not on the ocean he is in a boat He's not. yeah so she says Martin it's his birthday tomorrow he's not out on the ocean he's in a boat so it's not Michael's birthday in the script I don't know if they made that change but obviously the Brody's are celebrating because maybe all the kids were together on that day so he's having an early birthday party something that we all do uh whoever has uh children that sometimes that schedule, uh, recently my one of my daughters turned 10 years old, and even though her birthday was in the middle of the week, she had a get-together with friends at the zoo to celebrate her birthday the following weekend. So... That's kind of what's happening here with Jaws. They're celebrating, I think, Michael's birthday that you can see that there's cake and stuff, and that's why the kids are all grouped together there, and they get up and they walk to the water at the same time. That's what's going on there. I don't think Mr. and Mrs. Taft have any children because I don't see any children around them. We're going to have to analyze that a little bit more. So anyways, there's a lot going on in that scene. We've also talked about how the Amity island geography if you go back and listen to episode 32 Amity Island Geography, we the uh, the announcer on the radio in the background gives a lot of clues to exactly what does Amity Island uh, look like in relation to the other two islands. there's actually three islands there. very interesting stuff great scene and that's why Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. there's a lot of there are so many little things to, investigate and find out what's going on. So Dave continues on. He continues on. He says, also on a side note, I've started reading the book of Quint to my 10-year-old son at bedtime. He loves it, but was surprised by the uh, by the sections from the POV of the Oceanic White Tip. The gruesome plot elements of the Indianapolis crew battling the sharks don't seem to bother him at all, bother him at all, but then again, he watched Jaws and the only bit that really seemed to bother him at all was the jump scare with Ben Gardner's head. My wife has had to watch jaws with me on so many occasions and she still jumps at that every single time. It's got to the point where I'm watching her watch the movie and waiting for her to jump. Uh, everybody needs a hobby. (laughs) It's true. That scare still gets people. Even though they know it's coming, it still gets people. And I believe that from the subharmonics that are are used. That's another Jaws obsession. It's a future Jaws obsession that I have to get to because I've been so busy. I haven't been able to do these researches, these research projects of mine. But there are subharmonics being used in the sound design of Jaws. Very interesting stuff. The Ben Gardner head scene has so much more going on than we really do know. We're going to get to all that. Dave continues on, from what you said in the podcast, you've got a lot on your plate at the moment and so many different plates to keep spinning. Uh, Yes, that's right. Keeping these plates spinning at the same time like a circus performance. I just wanted to say thank you for all your hard work on the Jaws obsession and on the book of Quint. What you are doing is making a lot of Jaws fans very happy. If you're ever over in the UK, I would love to buy you a beer and drink to your leg. Thank you very much. Dave Bowen from Stourbridge, England yes, he says that's how how you pronounce it. So I think I'm pronouncing it right. Stourbridge, England. Dave, thanks for writing in. Yes, if I'm ever over in the UK, I'm going to meet everyone over there. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to be over there for a Jaws Obsession reunion or a Jaws Obsession get-together? That would be really fun. Maybe we can make that happen in the future. Because there's so many Book of Quint readers over there now. And remember, Jaws Obsession UK over on Twitter. If you go over and follow Jaws Obsession UK, I uh, that link I'm going to try to put in the show notes. Hayden over there is helping me out as the point man for the Jaws Obsession and the Book of Quint information over in the UK. Because we have a lot of interest over in England and the uh, and the United Kingdom Jaws Obsession UK. We're going to be doing some really cool stuff with uh, the Jaws Obsession UK coming up very shortly. So stay tuned for that. All the UK Jaws Obsession and Book of Quint readers. Thanks for writing in, Dave. Awesome email. Great to get to the bottom of what Mister Taft was asking Chief Brody. Moving on, we had, look at this, we had a brother, now we had Dave, now I believe this is Dave's sister. Dear Ryan, my brother recently told me that you had read out his email on your podcast. I already knew he had the book of Quint, but life is busy and I hadn't really checked out Jaws OB despite being a big Jaws fan. So of course I had to listen to the episode he was on. Episode 58, The Jaws Generation. My brother Dave is from Stourbridge, and his email made me smile. I well remember the first time we were allowed to watch Jaws. As I recall, we both had to sleep with the light on that night, and every time I closed my eyes, I could hear John Williams' menacing theme in my head. Although I did go back into the sea, even now I am still not comfortable in more than 3 feet of water, 10 feet from the beach. Listen, Jaws, <laughs> Jaws plays a psychological effect in so many people, and it still does myself. If you know the North Atlantic, and the visibility isn't always the greatest. So when you see Jaws and the shark comes out of the bluish green at Hooper's cage, and there is one scene that always got me, and it was actually I saw when I was a kid I remember the scene, if everybody remembers, um, Jaws three, Jaws three, there's a scene where, uh, Overman is down trying to fix the automatic gate. So he's trying to lock the gate from opening, uh, and he is, um, underneath the water, and he spins around, he feels something behind him, and he turns around really fast, and it's just a, uh, is it an eel, or is it a fish? I can't remember the scene. I, I just remember, I just remember that, and then he turns back to the gate, his, he's working, and then he feels something, and he spins around again, and then that's when the shark hits him. Uh, as a deep sea diver, there <laughs> there were many times that I'm underwater in, in no visibility, pitch black, where you're doing your work, you're welding or you're doing whatever you're doing down there. And you just feel something watching you or something. And you just, that psychological, that sequence just sat in my mind. There were so many dives. I would just do a three sixty just, just because I wanted to make sure nothing was behind me. And, uh, so jaws gets to everybody, especially, uh, so I think that's really interesting that, uh, Kimberly's writing in, and she talks about how she's still not comfortable in more than three feet of water, 10 feet from the beach. Well, we all have our own little Jaws fears, and, uh, and that's uh, that is, you are not alone if you have a little fear that was built by Jaws, and that's kind of what ties us all together. I think that's kind of neat. I don't see that as a negative for the movie. I think that is something that we all uh, can laugh about and bond over, which is really, which is very interesting. Um, she continues on. You read his email outright at the start of the show, but I was in the car and I let it keep playing. And oh my goodness, it was fascinating. So I did what he did. I went back to episode one and began to listen from the start. I have learned so much about the greatest movie ever made. And when I put the DVD on the other night, I was able to see it in a whole new light. So many details I had previously missed leapt out at me. How did I not spot the Searle brothers in the marching band and in the Alex Kittner attack before? You're doing an amazing thing for Jaws fans, and I am only sad that I found Jaws OB too late to buy the book of Quint. I hope there will be a reprint. I am so intrigued to see the map of Amity and read the story of Quint. Thank you so much, Kim, for listening to the show into the back catalog like that and yes there will be a reprinting there will be a release of the book of quint it's just that all has to be worked out with the publisher because it's in development for big screen that that is being held right now because the publisher is going to want to release it in fashion with the film. They're going to want to play off of each other. There, there are a lot of things that have to work out there. But one thing that's good, if there is a screen version of the Book of Quint and the book then is a precursor to that and it comes out as in a soon-to-be major motion picture, more books will be sold. And because Benchley IP... LLC requested that 10% of any and all profits of the book of Quint go to Shark Research and Conservation. That will be more money raised for shark research and conservation. So everything everybody wins. The sharks win, all the readers win. There's a lot to having a strategic release. If we have to wait a little bit longer, at least we'll help the sharks out that much more. So that's what's great to see. So what she did was she listened to that episode 58, and she was so intrigued, she goes back to episode one. And I'm telling you right now, there's well over, I want to say there's well over two days worth of content with the Jaws obsession. So that's a lot of listening. She says, I have just listened to episode 35, Time Me a Sheepshank, and I wondered if there was an additional factor to the quint Hooper dynamic. You have worked out that in Jaws, Hooper is the age Quint was, when he was on the Indianapolis. I am no expert on U.S. history, but it seems to me that Hooper did not serve in Vietnam. In Vietnam, he is the right age that I think he would have been drafted, but presumably, as a wealthy college graduate, he was able to defer. If Hooper had served in the armed services, he would surely have mentioned it at some point, and possibly even in the Tymia Sheepshank scene, to try to impress Quint. I wonder if... When they first meet, Quint is antagonistic towards Hooper because he knows that Hooper didn't serve and doesn't have all the psychological scars that Quint himself bears. I wonder if Quint is torn. Is there some envy because he sees Hooper the carefree young man he could have been if he hadn't fought in World War II, yet at the same time, does he resent Hooper for avoiding being drafted? What do you think? keep up the good work, best wishes, Kimberly in Cumbria, UK. Well, Kim, that is great. What a, what a excellent observation. Episode 35, Tie Me a Sheepshank. Now remember, episode 35 works in conjunction with episode 36. So if you listen to episode 35 and you go right into episode 36, Tie Me a Sheepshank goes into the father-son dynamic. And what I really do see is that Quint does see a lot of himself in Hooper. And Hooper sees a lot of his father, who he lost at the age of sixteen, in a boating accident. He almost sees Quint as a father figure. And what what Quint is also seeing when you're seeing that he does mention about these kids, he says things like I get a good man these days not under sixty gone 35 years don't drink that year old mr quinn see so you can't get a good man these days under 60 they're all gone at least 35 45 years old so he's already we have to assume he's referencing hooper here okay we do know there's a deleted scene with Herschel that was taken out so but right here with what we have as the final cut of the movie that's all we can really go on as deferring what these characters are are working out with the dialogue they can all they're only referencing who's there in the room. So we do know that Herschel is not there per the final cut. So we can only have to assume that that quint line can get a good man these days under 60 They're all gone He's 35 years Don't drink that. Year old. so what's interesting is that that can't get a good man these days under 60 uh, then he says 35 45 he's not referencing chief we know that because chief is a veteran how do we know chief's a veteran that's another episode that's coming up there is a major clue in the movie jaws that tells us that Chief had a history in the service. That will come up later on in a not-too-distant-future episode of The Jaws Obsession. So what he's talking to is he is kind of throwing shade at Hooper. He does know that Hooper is a... And I believe he's already asked around the island. Amity Island is small. Amity Point is even smaller. We do know that Quint did talk to people throughout Jaws around the island. And he did this because... He, uh, uh, there, there's clues that let me know that Quint did go around the island and he was talking to people as the shark has attacked. So he did find out who he, he knows he's found out because he, he, he sailed by, saw the tiger shark there. He saw Hooper over there measuring the jaws. So, uh, I'm pretty sure it were gets around if you go to the local pubs or the taverns you have, uh, they, they would say, oh yeah, there's this guy working with the chief. He's from the Oceanographic Institute over on the mainland. So Quint already knows who Hooper is before Hooper's there, I believe, because Quint knows a lot that's happening on Amity. So I think he is kind of throwing shade at Hooper because Hooper is the professional college student that became a scientist, did not serve in the military. Absolutely, Kimberly is correct. There's no way Hooper served in the Vietnam War uh, Vietnam being from uh, 1966. When did we uh, the 1960s, uh, the advisors were already in there and then it <clears throat> and then all the way into the early 70s. So uh, if we're in 74, Hooper's done all the trans-Pacific uh, sailing. He's done all the shark research and he's got the job at the Oceanographic Institute. So clearly, Hooper <clears throat> did not serve in the military. And yes, Quint will then treat Brody differently. Van Hooper. And Kimberly is right. It's something I did not mention in uh, episode 35 or 36, that there is some sort of, I don't know if it would be some, as she, I love how Kimberly did say, she says, I wonder if Quentin is torn. Is there some envy because he sees in Hooper, the carefree young man he could have been if he hadn't fought in World War II, yet at the same time, he, uh, does he resent Hooper for avoiding being drafted? So I believe that, The resentment, yes, is that if you read the book of Quint, you will absolutely get the full background into what is inside Quint. A man that has been on the island at this time, at this scene, what we're looking at, he has been on the island for 23 years and he has been through the ringer emotionally. If you read the book of Quint, all the drama that happens, it's not just about the sharks. That's why I implore everyone who, who might think that it is a grave error to assume that the Book of Quint would uh, water down or take away from Robert Shaw's performance because without the Book of Quint, Robert Shaw's performance might be seen as just because he doesn't like sharks. There is so much more going on with Quint than we than you could know unless you read the Book of Quint. And then you can actually see that there is a lot of emotion going through when he encounters Hooper. There's a lot of emotions that are going through him where he's actually lashing out at Hooper. Uh, there is a father and son dynamic going on there. That's undeniable What uh, if you listen to episode 36 uh, of The Jaws Obsession. But what Kimberly did touch on is that there is something going on there because you have the scientist and the veteran. And you can back that up by looking at how does Quint interact with Chief later on in the orca, on the orca, teaching him the, the he's teaching him the um, the knot tying, he's tying a bowline, he's teaching him things when Hooper lashes out at the Chief about the compressed air. This is compressed air. Well, what the hell kind of a knot was that? You don't pull the wrong one. You screw around with these tanks and they're gonna blow up. Yeah, that's real fine, expensive gear you brought out here, Mr. Hooper. But I don't know what that bastard shark's gonna do with it. Might eat it, I suppose. Seen one eat a rocking chair one time. Hey, Chiefy. Next time you just ask me which line to pull, right? What's happened there is that even though. Quint knows that Hooper has a point, that Chief did make the error. Look how Quint rises to defend, almost uh, kind of give give Hooper another knock, and then lean in without using his loud voice, kind of say, hey, just next time ask me which not to pull, right? So what he's doing is he's showing that he's he's showing an affection more towards the Chief than he is Hooper. And that is definitely because the chief was a veteran. That is exactly how he, as a veteran, would be standing up for the other veteran, even though the chief did screw up. He's totally still giving the cold shoulder to Hooper. There's a lot of that going on. Many, many layers. A ton of subtext is coming out. And that's what's great about this, is that Kimberly has now opened up the scope where she's actually seen the micro performances that are going on between these three characters by looking deep inside the histories of all of them. It's great to see. Great to see. Great email. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for writing in. I can't wait till you catch up with episode 60. And now that we've read, uh, uh, not only did we read your brother's email just before this, now we read your email. It's great. Great to see that Jaws has, uh, family histories over in, in England. It just shows that what we're doing here on the Jaws Obsession is resonating all over the world. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in the UK. We get emails from all over the world. We did get an email from a uh, Tim over in uh, Lincolnshire. He says, hi, just to congratulate you on the podcast. It's nice to know there's people out there that are fanatics about Jaws. I'm late to the podcast. and I wonder if there's any way of purchasing the book of Quint. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Uh, Thanks for writing in, Tim. I have about 30 books left. My agent has asked me to hold on to these uh, when I get permission to release some. We're going to be doing uh, contests, giveaways, things like that with the remaining books. But we do have to keep a select number in order to send off to potential producers higher-ups in the development process. But there will be the Book of Quint coming out. It's only a matter of time. They can only keep Quint at bay for so long. So thanks for writing in, Tim. Just keep listening to the Jaws Obsession. And if you are on Instagram, go to Instagram at bookofquint. If you can follow us over there, I will have the latest and greatest news. That's where I can put immediate updates, immediate Uh, immediate updates and immediate news about the Book of Quint, I can roll that out even before a Jaws Obsession episode. So if everyone follows at BookOfQuint over at Instagram.com, you'll find the link in the uh, description of this broadcast. Then we can all be connected in real time. So when I find out something... Everyone else is going to find out something as well. So I thank you so much for your patience. You won't be disappointed. Disappointed. The Book of Quint is worth the wait. Thanks for writing in, Tim. One last email. Stefan wrote in and said, I always thought Jaws was and is a perfect film, but there's always been the one scene that never ever made sense. And that was when Brody and Hooper explained to Mayor Vaughn on finding Ben Gardner's boat along with the Tooth of the Great White. Hooper then says he didn't have the tooth because he had an accident. Failing to mention the decapitated head of Ben Gardner popped out of a hole the size of a bowling ball allegedly made by the shark, which we later see is absolutely impossible, my guess is that Steven Spielberg took liberties for sheer jump scares and being accurate wasn't his top priority. That said, was there any look into the death of Ben Gardner? Did they look at his boat? All this really irked me, but most of all, Hooper leaving out all of this highly pertinent information to me goes against any logic and is the glaring mistake of the film. Do you agree? Thanks, Stefan. Stefan, absolutely, I have the answer. This is something I've been working on for quite a while. And this episode 60 was supposed to be that answer, only that with the screenplays and all of the writing that was happening, I had to push this off. So I am making the promise right now that episode 61 is going to be the answer to your question. We are going to actually divulge the actual cause of death of Ben Gardner And we are going to, using clues in the movie, Jaws, I'm going to be interviewing Detective Muggsy McGraw. If you remember, um, we had a retired police detective uh, from the Syracuse Police Department come on board for episode 16, The Jaws Timeline Explained. Uh, We had Detective Muggsy McGraw come on. He is going to come back on. And I have some specific questions for him because he was a detective that did a lot of crime scene investigation. And we are going to treat the Ben Gardner scene as a crime scene and we are going to get to the theory that I have. And we're going to prove that theory of just what Ben Gardner was doing, how he died, and why why what you're what Stefan is talking about right here. Why do they not mention this while they're talking to the mayor? The mayor It is not a glaring mistake of the film. It is actually pertinent to the film, and there is a reason behind it all. There is also a reason why the mayor doesn't push very hard. If you go, uh, and that that reason obviously is, is, that reason is very much explained in the book of Quint. If you go back and listen to The Jaws Obsession, episode 38, it's all psychological. We do talk about it a little bit, about what is going on. After you read the book of Quint, it all makes sense in what is going on with the mayor and the jockeying, the psychological jockeying for position that's going on in that scene at the billboard. There is a lot more going on there if you know the context of what the subtext is to what is going on the mayor knows something that hooper and brody do not and that is what is uh, remarkable about this it might seem on its face as a glaring mistake in the film but it is not it works seamlessly and it is extremely it's extremely apt to how these characters would be interacting if you know what has happened and you need the book of quint for that Some viewers might think for 50 years that this was a glaring mistake in the film that Spielberg just took liberties for a sheer jump scare and filmed the Ben Gardner corpse without thinking how it would fit narratively because they filmed the billboard scene. And I'm telling you right now that all these clues draw it into one tight, solid picture. It's just that we need to establish this information as canon to the film. And that's where the Book of Quint, after getting permission to publish by Benchley IP LLC, we are going forward as this is canon to the movie Jaws. This is now the Jaws universe. That the Book of Quint is a perfect addendum now if you connect your reading of the book to the watching of the movie Jaws. So, Stefan, stay tuned. Thank you for writing in. The next episode is definitely going to answer that. I promise that's the episode I wanted to get to. And we are gonna punch, we're gonna punch that episode out. I think we're in for some highly special revelations. And I thank you very much for writing in. This is not just the this is not the first email I've had about Ben Gardner. This is the Ben Gardner. The, the Ben Gardner is a very, very popular subject, and we are going to break that out on the next episode. So, so thank you very much, Stefan, for writing in. Uh stay tuned for episode 61. You won't be disappointed. We'll answer all, I will answer all your questions. With that, I would like to thank everybody for writing in and listening to episode 60 of the Jaws Obsession. Yes, we are still alive here and we are still kicking. And now I look forward to uh, having more episodes and to spending more time with you talking about the greatest movie ever made, Jaws. Thank you very much for listening. This was episode 60, still alive. Show me the way to go I'm tired. Movie Jaws is copyright property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. Copyright materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the fair use guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act. All rights reserved to the copyright owners. So thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, some some final announcements are the... Um, I will try to get some updates over on JawsOB.com. If you look at our... If you, if you go over to the uh, notes page, that is also a place where, we, where I'll be updating on the latest and greatest with the Book of Quint on the novel's release. So well, that's one year, one year anniversary of the trailer. If everyone goes over to YouTube.com and watches the trailer to the Book of Quint, celebrate that we are forward motion on the prequel to Jaws and Jurassic Park and all the other movies that talk about prequels. It's all we're gonna we're gonna lead the pack on everyone with the Book of Quint. Thank you very much for listening, and look forward to the next episode. Until then, farewell and adieu and show me the way to go home.